0: Good morning, church. Good morning, church. Um, Last week, uh, Pastor Matt said that um, he loves hearing the Word of God read in different accents. And I'm pleased to bring you the Word of God in the original accent. So, if you don't speak like I do, then you have an accent. (laughs) Our Bible reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Amen. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father. Amen. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be chaired when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Christ Jesus. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. Uh, we'll pray now for before Dan comes up to speak shall we pray uh, Father we we'll thank you for this privilege of knowing Jesus the name that you have given that is above every other name Lord we pray that uh, as your word come to us that you open our hearts to understand your word that the word will be a light unto our path, that we understand our position in Christ Jesus, that we understand what privilege Lord you have placed us in to be associated with Jesus, to be the children of God. Thank you, Father, for today, and we say, May your name alone be glorified in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Oh man, thank you. So I'm putting the Bible on the floor, but it's, I've got another one. <laughs> I'm going to use this one because I'm prone to wandering. Um, good morning. If I've not met you before, my name's Dan, and I live here in Thornhill with my wife Ellie and our daughters Grace and Annie. And we are based here with a missionary organisation called Youth with a Mission, and it's at our heart as a family to see this city and this nation restored back to the love of Jesus. We love Jesus in our family. Thank you so much for your prayers in the last few weeks. I've been unwell with an infection, and uh, I'm getting there. So thank you for your prayers. It really, I really appreciate it. I think since being here, I've had Math and Jacob and, and, and lots of the team just pr- coming to pray with me, and it's so, it's, I so appreciate it. It's so wonderful to be in family. Last week I was teaching at a youth event called Firestarters and I just wanted to show you a photo a couple of photos from that to encourage you. So this is this is about 50 young people from all over South Wales. And we just had an amazing day talking about relationships, worshiping God and I just wanted to show you that because it can feel in the in, in all the stuff with the census and all the narrative of society that says God's, God's dying. God's not on the move, but God is on the move and he's alive. And this is just one thing that he's doing in this city. And I just really ask you just to pray for them. Pray for these young people. These young people are the next generation of leaders who are going to, in our prayers, hopefully see revival in this nation. So please pray for them. This morning we are looking at a beautiful passage, beautifully read this morning, thank you, in Philippians 2. But Before we head there, I just wanted to do a really quick teaching on the kingdom of God. The Bible teaches us there are currently two kingdoms, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of darkness. Before the fall, humanity existed in the kingdom of heaven and dwelled in perfect unity with God in the Garden of Eden. We had authority and God's command to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply. And then after the fall, humanity rejected God's kingdom. And through Satan, the kingdom of darkness came and it ruled over humanity. We were completely burdened and overwhelmed by sin. And then this lasted until the coming of Jesus. And he starts to preach this message in Matthew 4 verse 17. He says, repent for the kingdom of heaven Come near, and when he teaches us how to pray, he teaches us to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The life of Jesus was an inbreaking of God's kingdom afresh again on this earth, and through his death and resurrection, we have the conquering of death and the victory of light over darkness. The kingdom of heaven has been let loose on this earth. And the complete dominion that darkness once had through, the, through Satan, God has broken. Heaven is breaking and has broken in. And one day we'll have the full restoration of the kingdom of heaven where there'll be no more pain, no more sickness, no more darkness, no more sin and all brokenness will be removed. We'll have a new heaven and a new earth. And so the era that we live in now is the coming of the kingdom of heaven. It has come through Jesus and is coming and he will come again. And the reason why I wanted us to start here is because I wanted us to see the reality of what we live in now. We as followers of Jesus, Colossians 1 verse 13 tells us, have been rescued from the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son he loves. And having been transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven, we are now here to be ambassadors for that kingdom. Have you stopped to ask yourself the question recently, why am I here? Well, I think the Bible tells us we're here to be ambassadors for the kingdom of heaven. When we're saved, we don't just get taken up and whisked away to heaven. We are left here to be ambassadors for his kingdom and to see others come to know him and love him and join in his kingdom. What we were, our old selves, as Paul talks about in Romans, has gone. And we are born by the Spirit into new life. And it might feel a bit random. Why is this important? Why am I starting here? Because obedience is now possible through the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And because the kingdom of heaven has broken through to this earth. The great 19th century South African evangelist Andrew Murray said this. He said, Nothing does more harm in the church of Christ than the secret thought that obedience is impossible. Nothing does more harm in the church of Christ than the secret thought that obedience is impossible. I didn't want us to go in our, into our passage today thinking for us, this isn't possible for me. Following Jesus, our leader, is possible because we have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. He has made it possible. To our old selves, this call may seem impossible, but what once was made impossible is now possible through God. As Jesus says himself in Matthew 19, verse 26, he said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Or in the words of Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, which we're going to read in two days, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. A phrase that has been on my heart probably for about the last year is this. It's it's, following Jesus is simple, utterly challenging, and ultimately transforming if we let it be. Following Jesus is simple, utterly challenging, and ultimately transforming if we let it be. There is little to dispute about the way of Jesus. It's simple so that even a child can follow it. But it does challenge the core of everything we are. We have to completely let God work it in us. And that's what we're going to be talking about in our passage today. In Philippians 2, we see one of the key characteristics of Jesus, and that is his humility. And as we follow Jesus, we are also called to humility. Humility has often been a difficult word to define. I don't know what you think about when I say the word humility. Some of the ones I found on the internet, which you can believe everything on the internet, right? Some definitions say freedom from arrogance or pride, or the quality of having a modest or low view of one's importance. Other definitions include notions of service or lowness. And I think there's some real truth in these definitions, but I think they all fail to properly define what biblical humility is, and that's because humility is found and defined by the man Jesus. His life is the perfect model. Of humility. We see this at the center of our passage today, verses 3 to 8. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus says this of himself in John 5 verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is dust, because I seek not my own own will, but the will of him who sent me. The king of the universe comes down and says, I can do nothing on my own. In John 6, verse 8, he says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Humility in Jesus was the complete acknowledgement of who he was but in all things submitting himself to the will of his father and being completely obedient even to the point of death. He understood that he was completely dependent on his father. And he didn't do this by diminishing himself, by saying, I'm not good enough, or putting himself down, but he did it by submitting who he had been made to be to the hand of his father. I am constantly struck as we read these passages and overwhelmed And in awe of the humility of Jesus. And so for us as followers of Jesus, walking in humility looks exactly the same. It looks like our complete dependence on God too. Humility is not so much a characteristic but a state of being. A state of utter dependence on God and obedience to him. I love one devotional that I read this week that said, Humility is the soil in which the fruits of the Spirit grow. And that's so right, isn't it? As we depend on God, as we put our trust in Him, the fruits of His Spirit start to spring up in us. And I don't know about you, but throughout my education and my my life, I've been taught the complete opposite of this. I've been taught to be independent. This world teaches independence. It celebrates and rewards independence. It champions the, the solo fighter, the kid who leaves home at 18 with a really well-paid job over the, the, the 25-year-old who's still living at home with, his, with their parents. It champions the kid who reads the textbooks and does the hard work rather than just searching on Wikipedia. And whilst not all these things are bad, If we allow this mindset of independence to come into how we relate to God, we go completely away from the way of Jesus. At no point in his life was Jesus independent. The way of Jesus calls us to totally reject independence and be completely dependent on our Heavenly Father. The way of Jesus calls us to humility. And so how do we do this? We're going to look through our passage to find out. Firstly, walking in humility requires us to know who we are and who made us the way we are. In our passage, we see that Jesus didn't come to earth and forget who he was. Verse 6, though he was in the form of God. Jesus was at no point not God during his time on earth. He was still perfectly aware of his godliness. And this is crucial because it meant he knew everything God had called him to be. And he didn't question who he had been made to be. We see in his temptation after his baptism, the enemy tempts him. Based around his identity, he says, if you are the son of God. And Jesus responds with scripture because he knows that he is the son of God. For us, is the same. We cannot walk in complete dependence on God if we do not trust who he has made us to be and that it's his power that keeps us there. Verse 13 of our passage, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God who does it in me. It's not some power greater, it's not some power in myself, but the one who is greater than me who does it. In other words, humility de- requires that we give up our right to self define and self diagnose. False humility is such a e- sneaky enemy of true humility. I think it's even sneakier because I think false humility has almost allowed itself to become something that it's not as well. We think false humility is saying something bad about ourselves to then get encouragement. For example, if you came to my house and I made you a chicken pie, I know my chicken pie is good. Yeah? If I said, oh, sorry, so only a chicken pie, it's not that good. I, like I just want you to say it's a good chicken pie, right? This isn't false humility, that's pride. Because I know my chicken pie is good and I just want to hear it. We're going to deal with pride later. We're going to do false humility first. False humility is where we believe and say things like this. I am worthless. I am not who God says I am. I have no purpose. I am just a sinner. I am helpless. I hate myself. False humility makes ourselves God and self-defines what is possible for us now. It does not submit to what God says and doesn't submit to the call of Jesus to follow him. It says, I can't be obedient because God hasn't done enough in my life for me to be obedient. False humility is independent. It's self-defining. And what this leads to and bears is the bad fruit of passivity. Passivity in prayer, in worship, in love, in sharing the gospel. It says, What good can I do? I may as well just live to make myself feel good a bit and I feel a bit better about myself. Yeah, I'll go to church on Sunday, but really I'm just going to live just to try and feel good. Godly humility, complete dependence on our Heavenly Father, requires us to know who we are in God. And who is going to keep us and work it in us? It says, I trust that God is working his good in me. Humility calls us to cry out with the Bible and say, Psalm 57 verse 2, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose in me. Or Psalm 138 verse 8, the Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Or if you're paying attention, yesterday's reading, Philippians 1 verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And if you know, if you, as I'm talking, you know that you struggle with this right now, that's okay. We have to admit and acknowledge where we are. But what I'd say is don't stay there because there's so much more. Feast on the truth, as verse 16 of our passage says today. Hold fast to the word of life. Pray and ask God to help you see yourself rightly. Say, God, I don't like myself. Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? God, I don't, I don't like myself right now. I would encourage you, if that's how you feel, to pray it. And hear what he has to say in response and let him reveal his love and grace to you. I'd recommend this book, or well, this one, the Bible, obviously. But this one, this book to everyone because it's amazing. But particularly if you struggle in this area, it's excellent. It's called Say It to God. It's by Luigi Joya, which is good pronouncing. Um, and he is a, I think he's an ex-Benedictine monk. And it, this book has just really helped me in prayer of just actually instead of coming with all the stuff, but actually just coming and being really honest with God. And so I'd encourage you to read it. Secondly, to walk in humility, we need to know who our Lord is. In this passage, we see, I don't know if you noticed, we see four examples of men who knew who their Lord was. Firstly, Jesus, verse 7 to 8. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. He knew who he was obedient to. Number two, Paul. Even I, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Paul is saying, I will be poured out as an off, offering. I will lay down my life as an offering to my Lord God. Number three, Timothy. Verse 19 to 21. I hope in the Lord to send Jesus In the Lord Jesus, to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. In Timothy, we have a man who doesn't seek his own interests, but those of his Lord Jesus. And number four, Epaphroditus. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him, and that I may be less anxious." So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service. Here we have a man completely willing to give up his life for his Lord. And I love how Paul gives us these four examples. It's almost like, so we don't, we, as, he, as we go through the list, we can't have a way out. Because we read number one, Jesus, we're like, yeah, Jesus, he was humble and obedient. That's good. I'm not Jesus. Then we read number two and it's like Paul. And it's like, well, I'm not Paul. Paul was an apostle. He had a title. So that means he's great. And then we get to number three and we're like, Timothy. Well, Paul says he has no one like Timothy. So does that include me? And then we have this man, Epaphroditus, He sounds like a great guy, but he was one of the them. He was one of the people. And what I think Paul is trying to say is, this is for everyone. It starts with Jesus. It's modeled by the apostles. Then by the apostles' son, as he calls, it. It calls him in other places. And then by all of us. He's saying this is for all of us. All of us are called to know who our Lord is and to serve him. When being transformed from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we gave up our right. To live for ourselves and for our own glory. We became obedient sons and daughters of the king and we live to serve him. We have a new Lord. And humility requires us to know who our Lord is. And we can do this and it can seem like this is a bad thing. But actually to be set free from self-service is such a wonderful gift. We were never created to live for ourselves. And it's one of the greatest blessings of the gospel. That we no longer have to live for ourselves, but for the one who knows us and loves us perfectly. One whose ways are lovely and true towards us. And in John 10 verse 10, Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it to the full." Jesus taught his disciples about this when they were arguing about who was going to get to sit on his left and his right. And they were all a bit unhappy. And Jesus tells this story. He says, wait, this, this passage in Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28. says, Jesus called his disciples together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to serve, to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus modeled humility by his service to his father and to save those he loves, us. The second great enemy of humility as we've already touched upon is pride. We cannot continue with pride in our lives now that we have been transformed to the kingdom of light. We must continually, when pride comes up with us, own it and admit it before God and bring it to the cross and to see it crucified with him there. Pride can be so comfortable, but we have to resist it. Pride will only betray us. Pride says it's all about me and it leaves little room for God. But verse 9 to 11 of today's passage tells us there is only one who is Lord and his name is Jesus. Pride will only lead us into ungratefulness and it quenches our worship. And so my question to us today is, where where do we need freedom from pride in our lives? Where are you living for yourself and not in service to your Lord? Where do you have to be right and it stops you from loving others? Where are you trying to take the speck out of your brother's eye whilst you have a plank in your own? Around six months ago, I was feeling overwhelmed by the pressure that I had to be at all. That I had to know everything and that I could never make mistakes. And that I was going to be this thing for all people. Even, as I said at the start, wanting to see this nation change, that I was almost like I had to see this nation changed. But this is pride. It was pure arrogance of me to even get to the point where I thought that I could do it all. But the Lord, as he always does, in his love, gently brought me away from my pride. And reminded me that he is God. And that he never asked me to be all things for all people and to know everything. God just asked us to be available and depend on him. He has all the solutions. And in him is all wisdom. He has life and The wonderful thing about God is that he just wants to do it with us. He wants us to be ambassadors for his kingdom. And as we're doing this, I wrote this in my journal. Idhak. It sounds fancy Latin word, but I do not know Latin. And it stands for, I don't have a clue. Sometimes we want to have a clue and we want to do it our own way. But what this little phrase reminds me is that compared to God, I know nothing. And that's okay. I don't even need to have a clue. All I need is to seek him, come to him and to do it with him. Never in my life does God ask me to know how to do it by myself. He always just wants me to come and be dependent on him. And what could be dangerous about this phrase is I could say, I don't have a clue. So I'm just going to sit here, put my backs against the wall, watch Netflix and not do anything in my life. But that's not what this is about. I don't have a clue, but I'm available. God, would you use me? I want to do it with you. Walking in humility requires us to know who we are and who made us that way. And it requires us to know who our Lord is. Without grasping these two things, we will either walk in false humility, or we'll walk in pride, or we'll do the toxic combo of both. (laughs) And so as we finish, what is the fruit of humility? Why walk in humility? We find the answer right at the start of our passage. Verses 1 to 4. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, the answer to all those things is there is, yeah? (laughs) If there's any encouragement in Christ, yes, there is encouragement in Christ. Verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The fruit of humility is that we will have the same mind, the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Because we will all say, I don't have a clue. Let's seek the Lord together and we will gain his mind. We will have the mind of Christ. People will be cared for when we walk in humility, and no one will go without, like the early church in Acts. We will also become people of peace, who have put off grumbling and disputing, like verse 14 calls us to. I don't know how you felt when you read verse 14, but like to put off grumbling and disputing, I, I think that's one of the key ways the church has really failed in bringing the message of Jesus to this world is by our disputing and by our grumbling we have to learn to be able to put it this put aside not to be passive but to center around the man that is jesus and who he calls us to be you might remember when i talked in the summer about judah i talked about how the world is enslaved and needs to be set free the world needs people of peace the world is crying out for people of peace As we walk in humility, we will walk in peace. And we will be able to introduce them to the man who is the Prince of Peace, Jesus. And I think one of the greatest fruits of humility is that we will become great men and women of prayer. Complete dependence on God brings us to the place of regular and extended communion with God through prayer. It leads us to prolonged and persevering intercession for our nation Because we are so dependent on God that he would bring his kingdom here on earth. I know for me, this is something that I long for. And this is what this phrase brings me to, is a place of prayer. God, I don't know, I don't have to know, but I know that you know and I want to seek you. There are so many beautiful fruits to humility. And I think the question that I wanted to put to us all today, to myself included, is, is will we walk in it? Will we take the words of this passage and the words of the kingdom of heaven seriously? And in doing so, in walking in humility, in walking like Jesus, will we join him in his mission to see his kingdom come to earth? Amen. Okay. If the band could come back up. I'd love us just to pray together. Maybe we could just have some um just piano music in the background, that'd be amazing. But if you if you're able to, I'd love us all to stand. And I don't want us to rush on from this moment. Because I want us just to be able to come and just stand before God, and maybe for the first time. You just want to come and you just want to admit, I don't have a clue. God, I've been living as if I've been trying to have a clue. But I recognize that you have it all for me. That you are everything that I need. And So if, you, if you'd like to, then I encourage you just to close your eyes. Just have this moment just between you and God. one of the beautiful things about humility is that when we walk in it this great pressure is lifted off and so God right now in this room I just ask that you're that you would just release any pressure that has been placed on us pressure from ourselves pressure from the world pressure from pretending like we have to know more than we do and Holy Spirit we just ask for your peace right now that will come in and replace that pressure of humility is to be completely dependent on God maybe for you you just feel like you've been independent or you have known there's been things you didn't want to bring before the Lord Maybe you were afraid or maybe they, they just felt too dear. And I just feel this moment right now is just for us, just to bring those things. There is nothing that is too big for God. I don't know whether this is right, but I just have a feeling for some people in the room, there's maybe this one sin that's maybe like the worst thing you've ever done. And, and you might have been holding on to it for like 10, 20, 30 years. And every time you try to take a step forward in the kingdom of heaven, it's almost like that sin has come back to your mind and you think, I'm not worthy. I'm underqualified. I can't do it. And I just feel like the Lord just wants to release you from that this morning. Because it was never about what you could do. It was about what he has done. He longs to walk with you, to flow through you. Maybe for some of you, you feel stuck in false humility. You put yourself down a lot. I just feel, uh, in the gentlest way, I feel like God's saying enough as a father would say to a child, enough, that is not who you are. He's saying, would you give up your right to self-define? Let me tell you who you are rather than you telling me who you are. In a sec, but maybe just you just feel stuck with pride as well. Like, I want to do it my way, I want to be right, I don't want to admit that actually I was wrong. Like so if you take that brave step of just giving up to Jesus, to be dependent on him, we we'll just see the fruit and the peace of that just as we go into another song, I would just encourage you just to meditate on the fact that Jesus has done it all, he has completely done everything you needed you required and he just longs to live with you you to walk in humility, which is complete dependence on Him.